waves get lost in the ocean. Seven billion swimmers, man, I'm going through the motions. Hi, this is Nancy Herald, and welcome to my show, High Road to Humanity. In every episode, I tell you powerful true stories filled with great wisdom that you can use in your own life as you strive for a higher road to travel. My featured guests will have their own unique stories to tell that enlighten your mind and your soul. So kick back, relax, and learn the secret to success when you take the high road. Hi, this is Nancy Yerald, and welcome to High Road to Humanity. And today we've got a wonderful guest. His name is Gay Hendricks. He has written a really cool book called Learning to Love Yourself. And this is a book that means a lot to me because I have had, I, I read his book and I, I can connect with so many of his uh, different things that he talks about in this book. So before I bring him on, let me tell you a little bit about Gay Hendricks. And I kind of sought this man out and asked him to be on my show, and I'm so glad he's here today. Uh, Gay Hendricks has served for more than 40 years as one of the major contributors to the fields of relationship transformation and body-mind therapies. Throughout his career, Dr. Hendricks has coached more than 800 executives, including the top management at firms such as Dell, Hewlett-Packard, Motorola, and KLM. Along with his wife, Dr. Katherine Hendricks, he has co-authored many books, including Conscious Living, The Corporate Mystic, and his latest, the New York bestseller, Five Wishes, which has been translated into 17 languages. That's awesome. Uh, Dr. Hendricks uh, received his PhD in counseling psychology from Stanford University. After a 21-year career as a professor at the University of Colorado, he founded the Hendricks Institute, which offers seminars in North America, Asia, and Europe. He's also the founder of the Spiritual Cinema Circle, and in recent years, his passion has been writing a new series of mystery novels. That's really cool. Featuring the Tibetan Buddhist private detective Tenzing Norbu. Hopefully, I Tens first adventure was the first rule of 10, followed by the second rule of 10 and more to come. That's really interesting. Hey, before I bring Gay on here, I, um, I grabbed a little bit out of his book just to kind of give you guys a feel for what this is about. Because I've had a lot of people say, and I've kind of gone to the end of the book, and it says, isn't it conceited? to love yourself. And I've heard people say that. So that's why I'm going to read this. So sit back and relax. And I want to read you a couple paragraphs out of learning to love yourself. Being concerned is attempting to prove to the world that you're okay after you've come to feel that you're unlovable. There's a fundamental gap between how you feel inside and what you're presenting to the outside world. And as you feel more genuine love for yourself and you have less need to prove your lovability, your love, your lovableness to the outside world, easy for me to say, it shows naturally. It is learning to love yourself the same thing as positive thinking. Gay ask. Some approaches to positive thinking would have us ignore the negative thought or replace it with a positive one. If we think, I don't like Jack, we would ignore or think something positive about Jack instead. In learning to love ourselves, we take what is there and love our way through it rather than ignoring it or rushing to replace it with something more pleasurable. So we might love ourselves first for the dislike we feel. 
This act gives space to our reaction rather than crowding it, crowding it out, loving it the way it allows us to learn from it. And Gay, thanks for coming on High Road to Humanity. I really enjoyed your book. Thank you. I'm really glad. It's uh, it's a book that's very dear to my heart because I wrote the original version of it the same year I met my beloved maiden wife of now 40 years, oh my Kathleen, Kathleen Hendricks, also known as Katie. And so okay. Ka- Katie and I got together 40 years ago, and that summer I wrote Learning to Love Yourself. And so it occupies a very special place in my life. And then with the new edition that just came out uh, a little while back, I kind of updated it some and wrote a new introduction to it and that kind of thing. And so uh, the brand new version, I'm very proud to say, is having a new rebirth out there in the world after 40 years. Right. No, I, I realized that. You wrote this in 1982. Is that right? Originally. Well, it, it came out in 1982. I actually wrote it in 1980, but you know how the publishing business yeah. works. You'd have yeah. to, it takes a year to get a book out. Right. No, I, and I know that. And you know what? Tell the audience your story. I know that you were in Colorado. You kind of, you were looking for the answers, like we all look for the answers. Can you tell that story? Uh, I know it's in a, in a shorter synopsis maybe than what you put in the book. Absolutely. Well, what had just happened was I just gotten my PhD from Stanford in counseling psychology, and I was going uh, in a, a few days, I was going to start my job as a new assistant professor, the lowest rung of the ladder at the University of Colorado. And I remember my salary, which seemed like a fortune at the time, was $13,000 a year because I'd just been a, a starving wow. graduate student living on a couple hundred dollars a month for the past few years. So 13000 seemed like I'd died and gone to heaven. So but but what actually happened, I was walking in the woods in Colorado just yeah. before my job was to start, and I had kind of a crisis. I, I don't know if you'd call it now almost an anxiety attack, but what it was about was I realized I knew everything in the books, right? but I didn't know anything in here about Inside, how yeah. to change things in myself, you know, and it was like... You know, it's one thing to know all the techniques in the book and be able to do them and produce good results with them. But it's another thing to know how to be a healer in your heart and know that your presence is a healing force. And to do that, I felt like I needed to be able to heal things in myself that I was still struggling with. I was still struggling with my weight. I was struggling in relationships. So... You know, like, what good is a PhD from Stanford if you can't heal your own heart? And so that was the crisis I was in the midst of, I think. That was my anxiety attack because I'm about to start teaching this to other people. You know, I'm about to launch my career as a professor. And so I think that was what the crisis was about. And so I'm standing there in the woods, and I asked this question. And I I don't know who I was asking it to, kind of like the universe itself. I said, what is the one thing that I've been doing wrong throughout my life that's been creating my problems in relationships and my struggles with my weight? What is, is there something, one thing that I haven't been doing that I need to learn how to do? Right. And if so, what is that thing? And I, I think maybe because I was an intellectual at the time, you know, I, I think I expected the answer to kind of come back like a text or something. Yeah, yeah. But what happened was a most amazing experience. Suddenly, 
the answer came in the form of this huge rush of energy that seemed to come up from the ground and go through my whole body. And I remember actually kind of staggering around out in the woods there, attempting to kind of feel the hugeness of it. And like a vibration, I guess. Yes, kind of like a, a vibration. It was kind of like a whoosh yeah. of energy. Yeah. And so um, I stood there for a little while kind of trying to figure it out because what it was telling me was the one thing I'd been doing wrong all my life was not loving myself. I'd been always criticizing myself and shaming myself. And I could see exactly where that came from in my childhood. It was like an instantaneous thing because right. I'd grown up in a family where there was a lot of shame on you. And, you know, it was a moralist, mm -hmm. very moralistic environment. And so I think I in, embodied that sense of shame inside myself. Right. And so I realized the one thing I'd never done is just love myself as I was. And so I had this exalted time of just standing out there loving all the things I'd hated about myself, my body, my weight, my feelings, right. ah, you know, the whole thing just... <laughs> Ah, you let it go. Learn. You let go all that, all that self-talk that had been implanted in you, for, I think, from other people, huh? Yeah, and it yeah. just ah, disappeared into smoke and fog. And so it was, I would say it lasted about 45 minutes, that intense feeling of loving myself for the first time. And interestingly enough, I got the opportunity to apply it in a therapy session the very next day. Uh, so, um, to see if it really worked. like To see to, if it really worked. Yeah, because it's yeah, one yeah. thing to do something on yourself. Right. But what happened, oddly enough, was a colleague of mine's wife, one of my new colleagues, I'd met her at a faculty, you know, like the faculty introduction party. And she and I had had a little chat. And um, I, you know, knew my colleague, obviously, because he'd been one of the people that had hired me for the job. Right. And so, the next day, I got a call from her, kind of unexpectedly, and uh, at my new apartment that I was in, and she said, could, could she come over and talk to me for a few minutes? And I said, okay. And so she came over, and she was hyperventilating in anxiety about the fact that her husband had just announced to her that he was having an affair with one of the graduate students. Oh, my. And um, wow. that... Uh, you know, first of all, I was kind of, uh, you know, because I, I was a new professor there and everything. And I, right. uh, I I wanted to, I don't know what the rules were around there or anything like that, but it seemed like not a cool thing to do, at least, you know, from my perspective. Right. And so I, um, I worked with her for a little while and talked to her, helping her kind of come down from her anxiety. But in the process of doing that, I put to work all of those things that I had learned the day before. You know, I, I said, instead of trying to control your fear, love it like it is. And, you know, I probably... And that's hard to do. It's hard to love oh. your fear. Oh, yeah, because we're taught to do the opposite. We're taught to try to make it go away or right. you know, push it down inside. Right. But So um, what I was amazed by was it didn't take very long at all. And she was out of her anxiety attack and was 
back feeling like she had some solutions and that kind of thing. And I, uh, you know, I did it, did it as a friendship kind of thing. I didn't right. charge her for it or anything like that because right. it was, it would have been a dual interest kind of thing. But anyway, we, you know, she went on and off and I was so happy though, because it was almost like an opportunity that the universe had presented to me to put into practice what I'd learned on myself the day right. before. To show but you, the, you could help other people. Yeah. And so yeah. I became over the next year or two, just absolutely enthralled with the process of helping people learn to love the things about themselves that they'd never learned to love before. Right. And it was so radical because and the, here's the funny thing that happened. Roll the clock forward now to 1980 when I wrote the book. Right. I talk about in the new introduction to the book how one of the first things that happened was it got a terrible review. I know. I read it got a terrible review, but that was a blessing in disguise. It yes? was a blessing. It made it a bestseller, basically, because here's the thing. The reviewer, it was in a popular magazine at the time called Psychology Today. Right. And so uh, it was kind of like the magazine everybody in my field read. And so this guy reviewed the book and he was the guy that wrote a book called psychobabble he just hated new age kind of things and he hated positive <laughs> thinking and he hated you know he hated louise hey the whole business and so oh no um, yeah and uh so he really took it out on me in this review and he said this formerly respectable psychologist dr hendrix has now started sharing his own feelings with the world you know and it was like it made him sick to his stomach well because we're uh, programmed not to feel right because that's what we're programmed to do not to feel anything i know and my friend uh, ed graham called me i hadn't seen this review yet and i didn't know it was in the magazine right and um so Ed calls me and said, hey, Gay, have you seen the latest issue of Psychology Today? And I said, no. And he said, well, do yourself a favor and do not read it. <laughs> so, but of course, you, you know what I had it. to do. Yeah, you know you what I had to, to do. Yeah. You know, it's like somebody says, do not look on page 37 of that book. Yeah, so, uh, I had to hustle over to the newsstand and I read it. And I remember sitting there going, oh, no, my career is over. But now what happened was the thing this guy hated about it, everybody else was looking for. And right. so suddenly the book shoots to the top of the bestseller list. And, uh, I, you know, it's been basically a steady bestseller now for 40 years. And wow. sometimes when my wife and I are sitting on the beach in Maui, uh, we'll raise a, a cocktail to each other and say, thank you, Mr. Psychology Today Reviewer, you know. And, yeah. Uh, uh, here we are. So uh, I, I got the pleasure of seeing it turn into a nice uh, gift to people's lives. And I would say of, of the many books I've written, other than Conscious Loving and The Big Leap, um, more people write to me and say that they give this book to their kids for graduation or they right. give it to their friend who's going through a tough time. And right. So I'm really happy that it's turned out to be that way. No, and I agree. I am. Um, as I was reading your book, I said to my husband, you really need to read this book. And I read a book every week because I have usually an author or somebody who's written something or, or I research, you know, when they come on my show and um, learning to love yourself. If you guys are watching me on YouTube, I'm holding it up. I had bought this years ago and I told Gay and uh, I, I started to read it. And then I thought, I really need to get this man on my show. And you've been on Oprah and you've been on all kinds of shows, haven't you, with this book? Been everywhere. Yep. I think that was it's one of amazing. the first ones that uh, we got on Oprah with. That's yeah, amazing. Uh, I uh, am very grateful to her, by the way. She's a 
stone's throw away from us here where I live in California. And uh, she was very, very helpful to us early in our career with Conscious Loving, our book Conscious Loving and right. other books of ours to help them get, get them out to a wide audience. So uh, blessings to you, Oprah, wherever you are today. Yeah, that means a lot. Well, listen, we're getting ready to go to commercial, but um, you guys, we're here today with Gay Hendricks, PhD. The book is Learning to Love Yourself. And Gay, how do people contact you? You have an institute, is that right? The Hendricks Institute? How do they find you? Yes, we've uh, had the Hendrix Institute since way back in the 1980s. Okay. Uh, we're here in California now, and uh, but uh, go to www.hendrix.com. So hendrix.com is probably the best place to go. H-E-N-D-R-I-C-K-S dot com, and uh, there there's a kind of a jumping off place. You can see our nonprofit foundation and our relationship okay. e-courses and things like that. All right, fantastic. This is Nancy Yura. We will be right back, you guys. Hang on. We have more stories to tell on High Road to Humanity. Check out Nancy's website, nancyyearout.com, to book your first 30-minute coaching session for free to get you on your high road. Have you ever been in a situation where you needed a miracle? I think most of us probably have. Whether it's a financial emergency, health crisis, or some other serious situation, most of us know the feeling of helplessness and even hopelessness. Now imagine having to wait for a miracle for six months, even a year or more. That's the situation for thousands of children all around the world who are waiting for a sponsor. Their only hope of escaping the poverty around them is someone like you choosing them. This is Nancy Yarrow, and I'm joining with compassion to give you the chance to be the miracle in a child's life. For a little more than a dollar a day, you'll provide the physical, emotional, and spiritual support a child needs, not just to survive poverty, but to be released from poverty in Jesus' name. Don't make a child wait one day longer for their miracle. You can find out more or sponsor a child right now. Just go to my website, nancyyearout.com. That's www.nancyyearout.com. We want to thank you so much for listening to High Road to Humanity. This is where Nancy and her guests tell stories that will guide you and enlighten your mind and soul. Now, welcome back to the High Road. Hi, this is Nancy Yearout, and I am back here today with Gay Hendricks, and we're talking about loving yourself. And you know, boy, you probably hear this from a lot of people, but when I'm reading this book, it's like, that happened to me when I was a kid. Could you tell the story of what happened to you as a child? Would you mind sharing that with the audience? Because it kind of hit home with me, so I think it might hit home with a lot of people. Well, first of all, I should tell you that I had a kind of a rough start in life, and um, my father died when my mother was pregnant with me, so I never knew my father, but my mother went through a tremendous stress when she was pregnant with me, and basically she went from being a 120-pound person when she was at her normal weight. By the time I was born, she was down to 89 pounds because she was kind of starving herself. Oh, my goodness. And um, nobody's ever been sure whether she was trying to kill herself or what. But, you know, the the fact is that I started out kind of a rough start because it readjusted some 
glands in me. So I was an extremely fat baby. And then I was a fat, you know, little kid. And you would and never know a, that because you're not fat now. You're not overweight now at all. No, not at all. And so I've um, been looked relatively like what I do now for the past uh, 50 years at least. Uh, but um, in those days, I was a medical problem. So I was taken around to different um, oh, I see. specialists and things like that and put on different diets and given all sorts of different shots and pills to try to. So I started out being a problem. And I think that also laid down that basically a feeling inside that there was something fundamentally wrong with me or something right. fundamentally flawed with me. Mm -hmm. And I think if we look inside ourselves, many of us will find that we carry around a sense of something's wrong with us or there's something unfixable down there that I'm always trying to fix. And so that's where I discovered the power of love because you can, you can find well, let me put it this way. There are some things that can really only be healed with love. Right. Even if you have a physical problem that you're dealing with by taking medication, we need to add that dimension of love to it, loving ourselves for being the way we are is such well, an important starting point. Yeah, course. and I'm going to interject here because a lot of times when you give yourself that loving energy, you can heal yourself. Well, that's exactly right. And for many years now, I... I I tell people I live on a steady diet of miracles because I see people come in who haven't loved something about themselves and then they do some work on that and cultivate that skill and then things change. And right. we, you know, we worked with close to 5,000 couples in, um, in our seminars and here in the office in relationship counseling over the right. years. And I can also say exactly the same thing about relationship because here's something really important, Nancy. Okay. We come into relationships, two people come into a relationship often with two exactly similar things that they've never learned to love about themselves. Right. And they are drawn together because the journey is partly about learning to love some part of yourself that you've never lear learned to love before. Right. So it took me some tears and pain to learn that. But I finally figured that out, that a lot of times, Katie and I struggle quite a bit in the first year or so of our relationship. And, you know, we weren't sure if we were going to make it or right. not. We had tremendously high hopes, but I've had high hopes before. I often tell Katie that before her, my relationships always resemble the uh, launch trajectory of the Titanic. You know, it would start <laughs> out with many people clapping and cheering and great fanfare and everything, and then hit an iceberg. And unfortunately, I didn't realize it that at the time it was the same iceberg I have kept hitting over and over again. What my was it? Personal, were, yeah. it was, I was so frozen out of my emotions. I, I think see. that I didn't have a clue how I felt inside. Okay. And, you know, having worked with several thousand people here, I can also tell you that it's a common problem, especially right. members of my male uh, gender, that um, I know I was programmed from an early stage not to acknowledge my feelings. I remember right. specifically getting hit by a ball, a baseball, a hard ball yeah. uh, when I was a kid. And it hit me hard enough that it left the uh, 
uh, all the impression on your head seams on my forehead and yeah. knocked me down and i started crying i wasn't knocked out cold but i started crying and i was kind of staggering around crying and i remember my brother escorting me off the field saying hey man you know no 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 you don't do that around here you know and and that kind of coaching to not feel our feelings is probably the same mechanism that people use when they ice a bruise or something like that you know mm -hmm. we're trying to reduce the swelling of it but it doesn't work that way with emotions because the more you stuff them here the more they come out somewhere else in a roundabout right. way. And you talk about that, you, and I'm going to step back here a second. When you have a, a little portion in your book where you talk about the Bible and you talk about the church and religion a little bit, and I wanted to touch on that because that's something that, you know, this way that we're taught, the way that society has become, although I will say this, we are changing now. I do see a change, and you probably do too, but I know um, I was taught when I was younger, you know, to that way. Don't really show your emotions, and it's okay, and don't cry, and it'll be fine, and everything's all right. Isn't that kind of, uh, can you address that a little bit? Because I thought, I found that interesting in your book. Yeah, well, one of the common themes of programming is to program in shame and repression of certain feelings and certain, like uh, my uh, dear friend John Bradshaw who's passed on now he wrote a whole book about shame and mm -hmm. it, he tells a story of um, when he was first learning words as a, a little boy he said he, he was in the living room and he says you know this is my mouth and everybody went yay <laughs> and he says this is my elbow yay and then he pointed down at his penis and he started to say this is by and everybody said no 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 <laughs> and <laughs> oh instead of letting him be who he was yeah and uh, of course he ended up becoming a catholic priest for a while and everything before he oh, moved on and uh, got into a relationship and all of that so uh, he went a long long way um, and i think our movement of helping people learning to love themselves was really helped by a lot of early pioneering figures like him and Wayne Dyer and Louise well, Louise Hay, Hay. yeah, she Louise well, Hay. and I still have I have her book and I look it up when somebody tells me what's wrong or if I have something wrong with me, I'll look in her book, you know, how to heal your life and or uh, you know. I think how to heal your body, how to heal your life. And you look up and she's got, okay, you've, you've got a backache. This is why. And this is what emotion is causing it. And it's interesting because our emotions are what is connected to our physical health. And, you know, that has been scientifically proven now, hasn't it? Oh, absolutely. And yeah. also, too, uh, if you ask people in the pain medicine field, for example, they will oftentimes you tell you that it's it's a crucial issue in the pain we feel in our bodies because uh, like for example my uh, dear colleague uh, dr john sarno who is a medical doctor at uh, rusk rehab in new york for many years um, he treated 95 percent of his patients not with medicine but by telling them how to get in touch with their emotions because he found that repressed feelings, particularly anger, holding anger inside, contributed to back pain. And you can kind of see why because, um, you know, like the, the hackles on a cat or a dog that 
rise up when they're angry. Well, we have the same mechanism in our backs, but we don't have as much hair usually, and it doesn't right. rise up as much. But we have exactly the same mechanisms. We tighten up our backs when we get angry. Well, how we do wanna... you solve that if, you're, if that's your issue? What do you tell people to do? First, feel it. Second, feel the anger. Feel the anger. Acknowledge it. Feel it. Acknowledge it. However you want to say that. I like to say feel it. Simply feel it. Right. And then love it and then express it. So feel, love, express. And if you think about it, life, I, I have a book called The 10 Second Miracle. And in it, I show how it's the 10 second little moments of life that make a difference about whether you're transforming up the genius spiral, as I put it, or okay. you're wandering off into some other um, tributary. Okay. Um, and so the moment we're talking about there is a moment of accepting, first of all, and then a moment of loving, and then a moment of choosing to express the truth. Whereas you might say, I feel angry with you. That's a 10-second miracle right there, because until it happens, the person, other person hasn't heard it directly. Or what's probably even more important, many people, including myself, have found that underneath their anger are two other feelings that are almost always hidden in the shadows behind our anger, which is things I'm sad about, feel hurt about. Right. and things I'm scared about. Right. And so I've seen many people in this very room transform their marriage or their relationship by learning how to say, I feel sad right now, or I feel scared, and I don't know what to do. So right. just a, an Acknowledging of, it. A 10-second expression of it. I always say this is the <laughs> – when I work with uh, sexual dysfunction, I say this is the only six inches that matters right here is your ability to communicate honestly with each other because inability to communicate honestly – And he's showing is, his throat, you guys, if you're on the radio and you're not on YouTube. You know? Right. He's showing his throat. And you're saying it's the words to be honest and say, you know, I feel hurt or I feel sad just to kind of get it off your chest. Is that kind of what it is? Get the energy out? there get it off your back get it off your chest and get it out of your belly because gotcha. sometimes the last one that anybody ever thinks of is what they're afraid of because by the time we're in the middle of a problem like that, we're in the grip of fear, and then that may look like real life. You know, that may look like how existence is for you at the moment. So let me understand this, and maybe I, I make sure I, I'm, I'm complete on this. So you have a lot of people, and a lot of people feel sad, and they feel um, hurt, and they're afraid, but it comes out as anger because they don't know how to express that emotion. So yes, you say, you say, love it. Love it. And in, in our work, uh, we have a, a process on our um, nonprofit foundation site called Fear Melters that you can download. It's a free thing. Uh, it's about how to deal with oh. the four expressions of fear. Okay. Uh, a lot of people don't realize that fear has four different expressions. One of them is fight and one of them is flight. Everybody knows fight or flight that are come out. In other words, so some people, when they get scared, start arguing right 
some people start backing away. So that's fight or flight. Right. But also fear has two other things. We call these the four Fs. Okay, hold, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop you there because we've got to run to commercial break. But when we come back, I want you to say the other two because this is really important stuff and it can help people a lot. You guys, we're here today with Gay Hendricks. He's teaching us how to learn our, learn to love ourselves. And if you're watching me on YouTube, this is what the book's looks like. I'm sure you can pick it up on Amazon. This is Nancy Yura with High Road to Humanity, and we'll be right back. We will be right back on High Road to Humanity, but make sure that you subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, iHeartRadio, or download directly from Nancy's website, nancyyearout.com, so you never miss an episode of The High Road. Do you struggle with knowing the right food for your lifestyle? Is there really a one right way to eat? As a chronic dieter, I was always so confused by the food rules and the fad diets. Where to even start? That's why I decided to go into health coaching. As your health coach, I will help you find the solution that is right for you. I will help you find balance. Unlike most dietitians and nutritionists, I focus on a whole person approach, not just food. I address stress, sleep patterns, underlying root issues, and so many other contributing factors to health. And as a mental illness survivor, I love talking about ways to fire up brain health. If you're interested in learning more and maybe even a complimentary consultation, contact me at www.sparkingwholeness.com or message me on Instagram through the handle sparkingwholeness. And now let's get back to the show. We want to thank you so much for listening to High Road to Humanity. This is where Nancy and her guests tell stories that will guide you and enlighten your mind and soul. Now, welcome back to the High Road. This is Nancy Yearout, and we're back on our next segment of High Road to Humanity. We're here with Gay Hendricks, and Gay's talking to us about the four things. You were talking about fear, fight, fight or flight, you say. Yes, fight or flight, everybody knows those, but a lot of people don't realize there are two other things that people do when they get scared. Okay. One of them is freeze, and the other is faint. And by faint, I don't mean actually keeling over, but it means kind of spacing out in the situation. So some people freeze, they get immobile, they can't think straight, and some people go faint, which means they kind of space out or withdraw or get the urge to watch an old Star Trek episode or uh, something like that. This, okay, so, I get you. I get you. To space out, basically. So, but what's important to know about that is that all four of those are expressions of fear. And so we've helped many people transform their marriage by or their relationship, even in the boardroom in corporations, by learning how to communicate in what we call these 10-second miracles, where you simply speak honestly and non-judgmentally, and that can always be done in 10 seconds or less. Okay. It doesn't even take 10 seconds to say, I feel scared right now, and I'm not sure what to do. You know, that's a five-second miracle, because I've seen that actually transform board meetings, where you'll have 
six different executives, men and women yelling yeah. at each other over some problem. Well, that takes then, a lot to say that to other people in a board meeting. Oh, really does. But I've seen some miracles happen like that. I remember one wow. situation in the Dell um, computer boardroom down in um, Round Rock where they have their uh, headquarters down near Austin, Texas. I used to consult back there during the 90s. And I used to uh, coach Michael Dell and his uh, top three executives as well as working with some other people in the company. And so on one occasion, I was working with the number two person there um, and we were in the boardroom by ourselves. So here we are sitting at this table across from each other at this table that's about 30 feet long, you know, one of those huge, yeah, you know, yeah. very fancy room, in other words. And so here we are sitting in there. And what we're working on is the problem that he blows up sometimes in anger uh-huh. at underlings. And then they have a hard time kind of getting over that and because uh, he's very explosive with his anger. I see. And it's not a big deal to him because he doesn't see anger as a problem. You know, <laughs> and He's been angry so long. So in this little session we did, I showed him how what he's actually feeling is some sadness and some fear. Right. And once he saw that and started talking about what he was sad about in those situations and what he was scared about, just face to face with me, a whole change came over him. He be, began even to breathe easier. Right. And this was a man in his 60s. So he was not long from retirement, a few years away from retirement. And this had been a problem that had been going on for years. So here's a moment where a person took a 10 second miracle, right. the ability to tune in and say, oh, yeah, I do feel sad. I feel angry, but I also feel sad. And oh, yeah, I do feel scared about when I'm talking to these people. And so Homing in on the authentic emotion underneath the anger was incredibly important. That makes a whole lot of sense. Yeah. Now, here's what happened next. This was really fun. At the end of our session, he went on to another meeting where he was meeting with some of the junior executives. And so he went and told them the whole story of what he and I had been talking about. Oh, cool. And their mouths were like, you yeah. know, because they'd never heard him talk at this level before. Right. It was amazing the transformation that. Well, occurred. They, because they saw him as a real person, not as their this big entity. They saw him as real, right? Yeah, because he would yeah. go into this, you know, and then yeah. five minutes later he would have forgotten about it, but it right. would take them five days to forget about it. I hear so, you. So um, I've seen that happen so many, many times with people when they can make that. What I call the uh, the longest journey you'll ever make is only 12 inches long from your head to your heart. And so the moment you make that long journey, some people take a minute to make it. Some people take 70 years to make it. But at some point, almost all of us are called upon to come down out of our heads and find out really what's going on in our hearts and acknowledge the truth about who we are and what we are because the the magic of that though nancy is that once you do that you have access to to the power and beauty of who we are you have access to the direct creative powers of the universe once we get out from under all of that self-censoring 
Right, right, right. Well, you say love changes everything, and I agree with with you wholeheartedly. You know, doing this work and doing this show, I had a lady on, and she calls it a heart drop. And she taught me and the audience to take your heart and ask your heart what it feels today. And it's really interesting because not your head, you just go with your heart and what is my heart? And, and you go with whatever comes you know, to mind right away. That's what your heart feels. And I've been doing that and I've been teaching the audience to do that because when you have a question and you really want to know the answer, when you ask your heart, it doesn't lie because your body doesn't lie. And that's been a really uh, big thing for me. Um, and I think a lot of other people who I've, who I've been trying to teach it to as well. And it goes along with what you're saying. Have you heard about this or have you done this? Well, I think it's what very we're similar. Really talking about is a very similar kind of thing. Yeah. I invite people to drop out of their heads and right. love themselves as they are, not right. criticize them or judge right. or evaluate themselves, but simply to open their hearts to themselves. So it's, it's, I think that's a good thing to call it as a heart drop. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's a miracle move. It's one of those 10-second miracle moves that can really change your life. I wouldn't be here without it. You know, I don't think I'd be here what I'm doing now uh, because right. what I do and have done for the last 40 years is apply this to every area of life that I could possibly apply it to. And it's changed your life. And it's changed my so, life. I now, you talk about in the book that you need to do this on a consistent basis, which I would imagine you do um, for a while or maybe forever. I don't know. But you have to keep reminding yourself to love yourself. Can you address that? Yes. Well, think of it first as learning to love yourself is like learning to ride a bicycle or learning to ski. I'm not a skier anymore. I kind of wiped out my knees, so I'm, I've got them now saved for riding my bicycle with my wife and also playing golf. So uh, All right. I, I don't actually ski anymore. But when I was skiing, the instructor said, if you're not falling, you're not learning. Okay. And so no matter where you are, I've talked to Olympic level athletes who have said virtually the same thing, that even at their level of the game, you know, you've still got to fall in order to learn. So right. in the same way with learning to love yourself, it's never a place you get to. It's a way of getting places because if your life is proceeding well, you're always going to be uncovering more and more things in the world or about yourself that need your love. And so wherever you go in life, you're going to be just like on the bicycle, you're going to be still needing to balance. And right. it becomes easier over time, you know, if, if you've ridden your bike a long time. and um, But you're still going to be balancing no matter where you are. That's the nature of the game. Well, yeah, because you say uh, in the book, you know, there are people that you don't like. And you can still dislike them, but you can love the feeling of disliking them. Correct? <laughs> exactly. Is that right? Yes. First of all, just acknowledge whatever's there, you know, like who I am is who I am and how I feel is how I feel. And it may not be a popular feeling or it may not even be a feeling that my head says is a good idea, but I just need to love it the way it is. And the power of that, you see, is that love is the only thing that can contain its opposite. Right. Because you can love yourself for hating yourself. Right. Whereas you can't hate yourself to loving yourself. And so love has that all-encompassing power to reach around the things and then hold them in our own hearts that we already are. Right. 
So when we come, when we run across a, a situation and we start to feel angry, we need to stop and think, wait a minute, I need to love that feeling. I need to let the feeling go and just love the feeling and that helps it subside. Is that correct? What it also does is give you a gateway to whatever might be underneath it, because the moment you love your anger as it is, right. you also will realize 99 times out of 100 that it's not about anger at all. It's about, it's something about fear you're sad or about sadness, or right. something you're scared about, and you don't know right. any other way to deal with it except to bash on the person who's bringing the fear your way. Right. And so love is a... Someone said, uh, the poet uh, Rumi said back in the Middle Ages, that the astrolabe of God's mystery is love. And the astrolabe was like a compass for getting around in the ocean. Mm -hmm. And in other words, he was saying that the navigational tool for going through the mysteries of the universe is love, because you're always going to be coming to a place that needs your love, either your own self-love or your love for something else or some other person out in the world. Right, right, right. I love that. That's a wonderful analogy. Um, we've got about two minutes to break, but, you know, I, I have so many questions for you. You say, as we grow and listening, we start to talking to people around us, it's easier to forget to love ourselves. And then you say we buy things to make ourselves feel better. And uh, it's not enough to, it's not wrong to have self-esteem. I like all those things because I see a lot of people buy things to make themselves feel better. Or if you have a lot of self-esteem, people are like, oh, you shouldn't be like that. You shouldn't be so, you know, uh, what is the word confident? Can you address that a little bit? Yes, I think that... Um a big problem in our society and many places around the world is the fact that a lot of people are trying to address some issue in here by buying something out here or changing something out here. Right. Um, when I first got to Colorado, I, when I graduated from Stanford, I went to Colorado to become a professor at the University of Colorado. And one of the things that, uh, that was said to me as a joke out there, um, I was at a meeting one day with a bunch of other therapists, many of whom were in private practice. And uh, I was a professor that um, was supervising some of them. Anyway, uh, they told me this joke they have in Colorado among therapists. that th Therapists do three things when they move to Colorado. First, they buy a four-wheel drive vehicle. <laughs> then they build their dream house. Then they get a divorce. Oh, my God. And so because... Often when people move to a new location, that takes the pressure off problems in the relationship for a while. And right. then the accumulation of things also takes the pressure off dynamics that are going on in the relationship that are building, 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 building. And then after the dream house is built, you know, or whatever it is, then mm -hmm. people suddenly realize, wait a minute, I've got these problems and I've had, I don't know how many hundreds, maybe even thousands of people who have considerable wealth in their lives that have created that wealth in a way that overlooked certain issues that were building in the relationship all right. of that time. Right. So that's a huge thing that you got to make sure you're not getting stuffed 
to hide stuff that right. you're stuck exactly and hey you so, guys um, we got to go to commercial here real quick i'm gonna have we're gonna talk about this a little bit more when we come back because i see that as a big thing too um you guys we're here with gay hendrix today and he's telling us how to love learning to love ourselves and if this is a fantastic show for you to share um for your kids for your friends for your loved ones uh this is nancy Yarrell, and we'll be right back we'll be right back with the high road and more don't forget to visit Nancy's website, nancyyearout.com, to sign up for her intuitive personal coaching program or to book a psychic reading. Have you ever been in a situation where you needed a miracle? I think most of us probably have. Whether it's a financial emergency, health crisis, or some other serious situation, most of us know the feeling of helplessness and even hopelessness. Now imagine having to wait for a miracle for six months, even a year or more. That's the situation for thousands of children all around the world who are waiting for a sponsor. Their only hope of escaping the poverty around them is someone like you choosing them. This is Nancy Yarrow, and I'm joining with compassion to give you the chance to be the miracle in a child's life. For a little more than a dollar a day, you'll provide the physical, emotional, and spiritual support a child needs, not just to survive poverty, but to be released from poverty in Jesus' name. Don't make a child wait one day longer for their miracle. You can find out more or sponsor a child right now. Just go to my website, nancyyearout.com. That's www.nancyyearout.com. Join the millions of women each month who listen to Wise Health for Women Radio. Women are pressed daily to give more, learn more, and be more, often at the expense of mind, body, or spirit. Join us for revitalizing conversations on fresh ways to view your limited time, encouraging new, healthier perspectives. You provide a special spark to those around you, and you manage many roles, entrepreneur, mom, wife, coach, friend, daughter, and more. Here's a great way to inspire and nurture you. I'm Wise Health for Women Radio, host Linda Crater and her amazing guests share how to move toward your wishes and dreams and find what is possible in your busy life. If not today, then when? Take steps to flourish over 40. Join us on Wise Health for Women Radio, Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, on iTunes, and more at wisehealthforwomenradio.com. Helping women thrive. We want to thank you so much for listening to High Road to Humanity. This is where Nancy and her guests tell stories that will guide you and enlighten your mind and soul. Now, welcome back to the High Road. Hi, this is Nancy Yearout, and we're back here with Gay Hendricks. And Gay, we were talking about buying stuff and 
to make yourself feel better. And I bring this up because I see a lot of people that I know in my life that uh, think that money is going to make everything okay. And it only makes things okay for a little while. And then eventually, as you were saying, uh, you have to deal with the relationship. You can't just let uh, money can't buy you love, huh? (laughs) Yeah. I was working with a well-known musician a while back who had developed a an expensive habit of buying stuff when he's on the road, you know, from hotel room, stuff on the internet, stuff on uh, infomercials and all that. And he was going through a relationship breakup and he hadn't realized it, but normally he would call home when he was on the road every night and he'd have a long conversation, but he was going through this separation and those calls weren't happening. And he was trying to, he was spending his phone, but with his credit cards. And (laughs) so uh, his manager was beginning to call him aside and say, Hey, you know, do you realize that you spent $48,000 last month on stuff on your credit card, you know, (laughs) you know, so it's getting to be a bigger and bigger problem. And so anyway, when again, there are layers of emotion in us all. Mm-hmm. And the important thing is to love our way through to the deepest layer of them. So our work with him was based on tapping into a deep well of loneliness he was feeling and the fear of that and uh, you know, learning to love exactly what was already there in him, but he was trying to push it away with his credit card. Right. And so whatever your thing is, your thing may not be buying stuff, you know, but we all have something we do as a way of defending ourselves against going down inside and finding right. out what the we heck say is going like on. Alcohol and smoking and different things like that. We try to suppress it. Yeah. And a lot of people who have addictions that I've worked with, I, I found that creativity has a big role to play in addictions. I found that a lot of the people I've worked with who have big time addictions are also big time creatives. And they just don't know what to do with all that creative energy. And so they start trying to put out the fires, but with different addictions, and then the addiction takes over and wipes out their creativity because they can't get hold of it anymore. And so then they have to end the addiction in order to reawaken that uh, creative connection. But the important thing is, it hasn't gone anywhere. It's been just waiting underneath suppressed. the addictions. Yeah, it's been yeah, suppressed. It's like a hibernating bear. Right. No, that makes a whole lot of sense when you talk about that because, you know, a lot of people want to suppress their feelings. So if they're upset, and I have done this myself over the years, you know, I don't do it as much anymore, but I'd have a glass of wine, you know, oh, I'll feel better once I get home and have a glass of wine because I had a tough day at work. And you got to get to a point where you're like, okay, without the glass of wine and you're okay, you got to make it all right within yourself. And, and that's something I've learned. You got to go within. It's not on the outside. It's on the inside, which is not easy to do, Gay. It's not. I was just thinking of a golf buddy of mine that I play golf with here um, that uh, he has, I think, 17 years of sobriety now. Mm -hmm. And he said that he didn't get out of the drinking habit until he figured out what he was drinking to try to get rid of, you know, and faced it directly. And, you know, just stepping out from under the cloud of addiction for a moment as one does in 12-step meetings and say, 
Hi, my name is John, and I'm an alcoholic. You right. know, just calling it like it is is a powerful 10-second right. miracle all by itself. Right. You know, you talk about, um, there's so many things you talk about in your book, and you guys, you got to read this because it's really helpful. Um, you say, life is learning to love. I love that um, comment that you put in there. Life is learning to love. And you say, love gives space and makes room. I like that, too, because... When you love yourself, then you have more room because you've gotten rid of a lot of the sadness and the anger and the fear. Is that, is that proper? Yes, that's exactly right. Because if you think about it, to love something is to give it space. Right, right. To welcome it and own it in the space of yourself. Like, for example, we were talking about fear. Right. Learning to love your fear is such a powerful thing to do because what you're doing is allowing your fear space to exist, which then you can learn from it. Because you see, all our emotions are there for a purpose. They're there to teach us something. Right. Like with anger, it's right. here to teach us, oh, I'm in some situation where somebody's taking advantage of somebody else. Right. Or like my, my client who was the vice president of a bank and she had migraine headaches. And it turned out to be that she was so controlling of her emotions mm. that that was putting headaches in her body in her head because she was and the, to like the president her. of the bank would come roaring into her office at you know when she was packing up to get home at a quarter of six and go pick up her son from soccer practice and the bank president would say hey you know come into the office we got to do this da, 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 da. and there she was caught in the vice you know does she say hey no, I gotta pick I'm up my kid. To pick up my right. kid at soccer right. practice to the bank president, you know, who's our boss. And so you can see why people would squeeze themselves into that kind of a vice that would cause a headache there. So again, it was a 10 second miracle. Right. Well, and you talk a lot in the book, and, and I can relate to this too, where a lot of people grew up uh, in a household where they didn't feel unlovable, where there wasn't a lot of hugs and there wasn't a lot of love. And that affects you as a child. And as you get older, you start to realize, well, wait a minute, uh, maybe it's okay to love. Because uh, don't you see that a lot of times we're programmed that way when we're children? Yeah, well, I think that is the way many people are programmed. I haven't met too many people that that aren't. Yeah, that aren't, and so you got um, a tremendous number of people running around in the world who can get a driver's license to operate a heavy vehicle, but can't couldn't get a license to get married if it required being able to communicate in a healthy way. Right. That uh, isn't it interesting that you yeah. can operate a gigantic eight thousand pound vehicle, but <laughs> <laughs> but nobody 16. ever taught you how to love yourself because you weren't you were not taught that when you grew up, correct? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I've often thought, wouldn't it be great if we had an actual marriage license that you got through taking a test, you know, that would, uh... or taking a course and learning how to love yourself. You know, I think it's wonderful work that you've done over the years. And um, this book, gosh, it's so helpful. God, it was helpful to me. And I know it's helpful. It's helpful to a lot of people. Um, and this is the second edition. Now, since this edition's come out, have you gotten even more and more calls like you got from me? Hey, come on my show and talk about this. <sighs> 
Well, I get a steady supply of calls, thankfully, for that. And uh, I do a lot of uh, these kind of conversations around my book, The Big Leap. And also, I just got the galley proofs to my next book, Conscious Luck. Conscious yeah, Luck. Now, what's that about? Tell us. All, we've got about four minutes left on the show. Tell oh. us a little bit about the new book. Well, I'll just read the subtitle. It says, Eight Secrets to Intentionally Change Your Fortune. Oh, uh, wow. So, um, what... Um, Carol and I did. Carol's a good friend of mine who's a writer here in town, and we wrote the book together. And uh, what we did was we found eight different things that when people do them, their luck gets better. Oh, wow. so I thought, well, why not just put all those things into a book and say, here are the eight things that people are talking about that they felt their luck enhanced. Why don't you do all eight of them? And That's so awesome. we're uh, we're very uh, excited for the book because uh, it's interesting too, uh, Nancy. Is that since we started writing the book, there's starting to be more scientific research on luck. Uh, there's a um, a woman up at Stanford that's doing research on that, that uh, has a thing out on uh, TED Talk and that kind of thing. So yeah, um, it, it's really exciting to see these ideas become to come into the uh, the general conversation. I'll tell you my quick story on luck. I had Joe Gallenberger. I don't know if you know Joe. He's been on my show a couple times and he's written liquid luck and all these different books about that. And uh, so I learned that, you know, you, he told me, you know, when you're, when you're thinking about it and you meditate and he's got some CDs, some meditation CDs and that. So I was in a, uh, I went to a, uh, uh, gambling I guess it would be like you know just some gambling tables and things in Detroit not too long ago and it was a casino a small casino and uh, I, I thought well I'm gonna do what Joe taught me and I visualized he, he teaches to visualize with color and I visualized green and gold coming down into my head I did it for a minute nobody knew I did it but I knew I did it so I visualized this coming down into my head and then I went over to the machine and a friend gave me some money and I put it in the machine and I won and I won, and I won, and I won. And I probably won 250 bucks. I just kept putting the money back. It kept hitting the thing and hitting the thing and hitting the thing. But I will tell you, it was my little test that when you visualize and when you feel that you are going to be lucky, it changes the energy and it does, uh, it works. It really works. Well, that's one of the things that uh, is most exciting about life. You have the uh, chance to seize control of your own destiny at every moment with a moment of love or a 10-second miracle or, or simply doing what you did to visualize. Now, you meditate. That's a big thing that for you, isn't it? Do you still meditate a lot? I wanted to ask you that. Yes, I have not missed a day of meditation since, I think, 1972, back in there. Um, So I'm coming up on my 50th anniversary of being a daily meditator. I find that incredibly useful. I still do it in the morning and the evening for 20 minutes or so, and uh, it's a dropping into that space of pure consciousness inside that uh, I think is very nurturing to human beings in general. So I... um, I always say it's like uh, taking a shower a couple of times a day, just the way it makes you feel after. To cleanse, so, yeah. Big believer. I think it's awesome. Yeah. And I agree with you. Um, when I meditate, I feel I get information, things, uh, questions that I had will come to me. Uh, people that I need to call will come to me. Have you had those same experiences? All the time. Yep. Yeah, I, yeah. I even launched an entire business out of meditation one day. I had an idea for a 
business back in 2003, the spiritual cinema circle just popped into my mind how to do it. A colleague and I were interested in the movie business. And so we invented this whole other way for people to get enlightening movies in their lives. And it just popped into my mind during meditation. Of course, it took us six months to build up a business and get it going and everything. But, you know, the original idea just popped. And so I think... uh, you know, we're just barely beginning to tap our creative potential. I agree. That's my big push right now. I will tell you that is, um, you know, I'm, I'm intuitive and, and I've done psychic readings for people, but my big push is to teach people how to do it themselves, gay, okay? to meditate and learn to get the answers and the information for themselves because we all have that ability. And I think if we could do that, we, you know, that would be a huge accomplishment. It would change people. Do you think? Yeah. Get it from the wholesaler instead of the retailer. Yes, there you go. Hey, listen, we're out of time, but I just want to thank you for coming on the show. I hope you'll come back with the new book and uh, and visit us again on High Road to Humanity. Count on it. Oh, you're awesome. Thank you so much, you guys. It's called Learning to Love Yourself by Gay Hendricks. He's got other books. His website, give out, give out your website again, please, Gay. Hendricks.com, H-E-N-D-R-I-C-K-S. All right. And this is Nancy Yerald. And thank you so much for joining us today on High Road to Humanity. Have a great week. Join me next week on High Road for more stories filled with wisdom, love, and hope for our future. To sign up for my intuitive life coaching or a psychic reading, visit my website, www.nancyyearout.com. My email address is nancy at highroadtohumanity.com. So have a fabulous week and know that by staying on the high road, you will make it to your destination.